This is going to be only half a review of Angels and Demons, because I could only make it through the first half of the film, then I left. In a different context, the film would be just average and destined for oblivion, not a killer. But the second half of this review, if you want to call it that, is the context, and the film is a disaster. Angels and Demons, the follow-up to the blockbuster based on Dan Brown's novel The Da Vinci Code, is actually from the previous book by that author. Not surprisingly, it's been retooled as a sequel. That this can be done with a single line of dialogue tells us how little we've learned about the character Robert Langdon and how little these plots matter. I don't feel the need to summarize the ad campaign from which, as Roger Ebert said last week about a different movie, the film is merely an extrusion, surrounds you like CO2. Langdon is played once again by Tom Hanks, sort of a modern James Stewart, for his image as a kind and well-liked actor, lauded by his peers, loved by audiences, who takes roles about people. And when you see Langdon emerge from the Olympic pool where he's been doing laps, you know that you will never again see Tom Hanks looking this beautiful. Now he will begin to age into a different kind of beauty as that youth fades. And unfortunately for this important transitional moment in a really wonderful actor's career, he has fallen into the hands of the worst director in America. That man is Ron Howard, also lauded multiple times by the Academy and big box office for films like Apollo 13 and just last year, Frost Nixon. How can I make the case that I've been making for years that this man should get nowhere near a camera? Well, look at Frost Nixon. A fascinating film? Absolutely. And despite itself. We can't take our eyes off one of the great stories in politics. Frank Langella was simply brilliant, and yet the film is lame-brained and directed with the plotting predictability of a hardcore hack. I won't go into it anymore. You can buy me a cup of coffee. You'll either look at the film again and know what I mean, or think I'm off. Now we have come to the tangent on our way to a thesis. Howard is the worst director now working for the same reason that the new Star Trek film is a big fat gas bubble from an American mainstream cinema that's on its way to the bottom, ultimately to be replaced by something better. Look, I'm on record with a very positive review of Star Trek in an antic, ironic sense. I admire the film for its genius as a political act. If politics is the art of the possible, director J.J. Abrams was maybe the only choice in the world to make a film that pleased just about everybody. And in a deep sense, if we examine our hearts, nobody. Because Abrams, like a much more naturally gifted Howard, has made a film to sit on the very short shelf with the very most cynical acts of compromise in the movies. Again, no time to elaborate, and again, I had fun at Star Trek. But check your instincts. Either I'm right or I'm jaded. And right now, I think I'm both. Every constant moviegoer goes through a period in which he or she has seen so many terrible new films in a row, he temporarily loses his faith in the whole ball of wax. I'll get over it by next week, I promise. But for now, this thesis. Real directors do not compromise. Never mind the auteur theory that says directors are the only author of a film. And never mind film is a collaborative art, which says they're not. A real director is someone who so extends the strength of his will that he bends people and technology to reshape the world for just long enough to capture it in a bottle. Maybe they're nice about that, maybe they're not. But a real director uses people and things as his brushes and paints. And only real directors can give us all movies that feed the soul. Reviewing movies for WFIU, this is Peter Noble Kachera. 